From the PSI ASI studios in Lakewood, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. You're listening to First Chair, and uh, tonight we're going to be visiting with national team member Stephen Helfenbein, talking about preparation for certification. Stephen, always great to chat with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, George. Always great to speak with you. Now, Stephen, tonight we're going to be talking about the difference between training and practice. Can you start by giving us just kind of a general overview, because it seems like those two words are actually pretty close. Uh, yes. In the context of training for, or pardon me, uh, preparing for certification, um, we want to draw a difference between training and practice just so we know what we're doing differently with each of those um, types of experiences. A training experience is one that I would characterize as something that is um, some structured information or a structured opportunity to receive some information from uh, maybe it's a ski school trainer or one of your uh, division's trainers. In this same context of preparing for certification, we want to um, interpret practice as the time that while on your own, you can take lessons learned from your training and apply that um, in with a lot of repetitions and feedback while you're either on your own or potentially with a peer or maybe with the use of video. Now, how do we balance the time with these? And in that balance, is there one that you feel should have more time put into it? It definitely depends on the person. Um, but I think that it's a, in, on average, it's a pretty equal balance. And in maybe some cases, you would need more practice than training. Now, that's interesting because training is very structured. Uh, you've got a time. You're making the time to make that happen. Whereas practice, if we get busy teaching, we're tired at the end of the day, uh, how do we really structure our schedule to fit in the practice? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you, you have to be creative when you, when you're practicing or trying to fit in practice, um, you might be able to practice certain things while you're working. Um, you know, if you're working on your, um, if you have a focus that's ski related, you could practice that while you're demonstrating specific things for students or um, while you're potentially following a student or maybe you get a run in between lessons or on the way to lunch. You know, all those are possible practice opportunities. Um, maybe you're toying around with a, a new progression and there could be an opportunity during a lesson to practice with that. I think that if you're creative and, and you you do look at all the day and all of your days on snow, there's more practice than you might realize. I love your answer because I remember speaking with you at team training. Uh, that was a really fun series of interviews on chair rides. But uh, you were saying that as you're preparing for an exam, you're not just studying and, and uh, getting things memorized to go through this test you really need to make the studies a part of your lifestyle and your teaching. Yeah, it's a big commitment. Um, and it, and it can be all consuming, you know, where you're taking on new pieces of information either during training or maybe you're doing some personal research or reading in the evenings. Um, 
And then you, whenever you can, you're trying to apply any of this new knowledge that you can. Now with practice, is it best to have someone who's kind of in the same boat that you are, maybe going through the same exam or going for a level two if you're going for a level three, um, but to have someone else there and watch your practice, is that a good thing? I think it can be a great thing. Um, I think that it could be a peer who's going for a similar uh, level of certification, or it could be someone who's maybe a step or two ahead of you that's, you know, knows what you're going through and knows some lessons that helped them. And maybe they can offer you, you know, their two cents on, on what worked and maybe, you know, help, uh, yeah, give you feedback on things that you're working on. That, that can be extremely helpful. I know training for my level three back in the late eighties, it was really nice being in an area where we had examiners and backup examiners on staff. So you could actually train with people that were in that position. Um, how about those of us who are at uh, areas that don't have uh, skiers of that level, skiers or snowboarders of that level, um, where we're getting this, you know, really immersed and uh, experiential learning? Yeah, it can be challenging, um, but thankfully nowadays, you know, there are more and more resources available to us. Take advantage of anyone on your staff that has more experience than you do. Um, there's something that you can learn from them. There's no doubt about that. Take advantage of your clinics in your region or, or clinics that might be coming to your resort, pardon me, to your resort offered by PSA. Um, you may have to lean more heavily on those if you don't have examiners and clinic leaders at your ski resort. And that could be harder. It could be a slower path um, as you try to accumulate the necessary training to get ready. Um, but you don't want to rush training. Um, part of training is just really figuring out the exact or a, um, let's just say approximate quantity of training you might need to get ready. Now, I like that you brought that up because I'm wondering, do you have a timeline or an amount of time that you should spend training and practicing <laughs> for a level one, a level two, a level three, and maybe a divisional clinic leader, uh, trainer? I do have some recommendations for um, level one, two, and three preparation and for uh, uh, maybe preparing for your ed staff, uh, an ed staff selection process. For level one, um, often one to two uh, sessions of training, and, and let's say a session of training is about two to three hours long, um, one to two sessions of training can be enough to prepare you for most level one processes. Um, the, the, uh, the specific process in different divisions can vary, but the um, standard for most of those processes involves um, a fair amount of orientation or uh, almost like training during the process. So they're kind of educating you while you're in the level one exam and, and give you an opportunity to, to perform during the standard after you get a little bit of coaching. Um, so not a ton of preparation needed there. When it comes to level two skiing, um, what I've seen in my experience training level two skiing candidates is that an average of six training sessions on snow or approximately 15 to 18 hours of training 
um, is enough to get it done. Um, for level two teaching, um, what I've seen is like an average of three on snow sessions and maybe um, three indoor sessions as well to maybe practice some movement analysis or lesson planning for a total of about 12 hours of preparation is a good amount for um, preparing for that process. Uh, when you jump up to level three skiing, I think the training, training demands increase quite a bit there. I think you need about 30 hours of on snow training um, or about 10 on snow sessions. And then to prepare for level three teach, um, what I've seen is about an average of six on snow sessions and an additional three indoor sessions for about 21 hours or so of preparation time. And again, the purpose of training is to, to just gain the knowledge and information that is most relevant for your personal development. And then that should segue into practice. So all those time components are, are separate from your actual practice time. Now, Stephen, I've got to know, what was the time you spent training and practicing for your tryout for the national team? <laughs> uh, it exceeds uh, <laughs> okay. years of, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, I went through three of those processes and each one of those processes prepared me you know, for the next, and, and there was countless number of experiences, either structured or unstructured, that prepared me for for that moment. Um, boy, it's hard to quantify. Uh, Stephen, I don't want to veer off topic, but uh, I'm just curious. We put in that amount of time training, practicing, preparing, and then get to the exam situation and just freeze. What are some things we can do to prepare ourselves mentally. And, uh, I kind of think of our teaching skills, people skills, uh, topics that are, are really, uh, big this year. Um, yeah, it, it's, um, really important that you do the same things that you're going to do, um, during the assessment before you get there. Um, you've got to practice the teaching process uh, before you go in and get scored on it. Um, you've got to be around um, peers and and uh, or other people that are kind of watching and judging your every move. You've got to work on creating, uh, making that environment comfortable. And if you can simulate that environment as many times as possible before you actually enter that environment, um, that's a, one thing you can do to make it more comfortable and decrease the likelihood of uh, freezing up. So really, that would be a big part of our practice. Absolutely. You can make you know training practice if it's set up well. You know, If you've got a trainer that, that really understands the demands, they can turn part of the training process into practice for sure. And some of that time can overlap uh, as far as training and practice time. Anything else that you would put into this discussion that uh, can really help us in these fields of training and practicing as far as preparing for an exam situation? Um, yes, for sure. Work with your trainer or your peers, whatever the context is, on explaining what your focus is. 
you don't know what your focus is, you have to identify that first, right? And that's really the priority of training is to make sure it, it concludes with a clear focus so that you have something to take forward into practice. And, you know, that, so it boils down to just really good communication with either that trainer or your peer about, you know, what am I doing? Or I'm not sure what I'm doing. And please help me figure that out. The more clear you are on an objective, then the more clearly you can direct your actions and, and start chipping away at that big goal. Now, Stephen, we started this series back at team training. Really happy to get it going again. What are we going to be talking about next week? Um, next week, I'd love to share with folks some of the real clear benchmarks of performance that I've seen in my experience for level two ski, level two teach, and for level three ski, level three teach. These really like observable, tangible things that that go with a, a successful performance at each of those stages. Well, Stephen Helfenbein, thanks so much for joining us on First Chair. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat this evening. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to continue this conversation, and um, I hope that there's some like real tangible nuggets of advice that people can use. And you know, if there are things that uh, you know maybe you have questions that you think we ought to cover um you know maybe you can respond to uh you know in the comments when you listen to this Stephen helfenbein thanks so much really appreciate what you're doing thank you george from the psia aasi studios in lakewood colorado i'm george thomas